Hi guys, I'm Emily DiDonato and welcome to the Remodeling Podcast. I've gone from model to content creator, founder to mother, city to suburbs, and now podcast host. So much change in just these last couple of years. I won't lie, I felt confused and scared, but also excited and inspired by all of my own big shifts. One thing about change is that we are all going through it. Come along with me as I chat with some of the most inspiring women in my network as they share their stories and break down their greatest life and career pivots. If it's time for your very own remodel, grab your headphones and start here. If you've followed me for a while, you know I've been honest about my journey with body positivity and acceptance, which is why I'm so excited for today's guest, Iskra Lawrence. Iskra is known for being a very successful model, creator, mother, investor, and founder. But I knew Iskra because I saw her many moons ago as one of the first women being a true advocate of self-love and body acceptance way before body positivity was a trending topic on social media. In this episode, we talk about her career, motherhood, empowering women through being vulnerable online, brand building while also building and balancing a family, and so much more. Enjoy. Iskra, thank you so much for joining us on the Remodeling Podcast. I'm so happy to be here. You have been such an inspiration to me for so long, even before Cubby, even before you balancing momhood, like your modeling career has been super inspiring. Oh my God. I'm so flattered. Thank you. I feel so inspired by you as well and your content and how honest and authentic you are on all of your socials. I feel like I know you so well, but I'm excited to dive into all of these questions. For anyone who is not familiar with you, do you mind sharing a little bit about your background? and who you are and what you do. Yes. So as you might be able to tell, I am from England and I grew up, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere for Americans. I like to say it's like the Ohio of England, just kind of like in the middle. Um, and so I kind of grew up having these big ambitious dreams and knowing that I probably wouldn't be able to do them unless I left home. And I saw modeling as that opportunity to travel the world and meet new people and be creative. And, you know, I was always that kid that was dressing up and wearing my mom's clothes and shoes and makeup. And when I was I was 12, I entered L Girl Search for Supermodel, and then I was scouted by Sarah Ducas from Storm, and I was on Models to Watch. And it just became apparent pretty quick that my body shape, and at the time, my dad is literally one of 10. He has seven sisters. They would say to me, you're going to get the curse of the Lawrence bum. <laughs> Um, and they, you know, really were very negative about the fact that a lot of our family members have like pear shaped bodies and like big hips. And so when I was modeling, it became kind of apparent quite quick that my hips were larger than a lot of the other girls that I kind of was comparing myself against. And the agency would just keep measuring my hips. And when I was 15, they said, your hips are 37 and a half inches. They need to be 35. I'm sorry, but you know we're dropping you. And then they gave me a list of 11 other agencies to go to. And I went to every single one. And I am proud of myself for having this kind of delusional self-belief because rejection is tough. And I got rejected from every single one of those agencies, but I kept on going and I kind of started from the bottom and I was doing shoots for free or I was doing like flyering or I was doing those like fancy dress costume shoots. So you can see me being like a baker. You can see me being a Fiona from Shrek. You can see me doing the most ridiculous things. But to me, I was still kind of working and chipping away at doing what I loved. And then when I was kind of like going through the phase of thinking there was something wrong with my body, I ended up having an eating disorder um, and body dysmorphia too, because I was looking at my body. And even though I was about a US four, maybe six at the time, I thought I was large. And that's because 
the people I was surrounding myself with at the time in the industry was, you know, feeding into that and telling me, yes, you have to keep losing weight. So I went through for many years, my eating disorder and really struggled looking at my body and thinking there was something wrong with it. And they needed fixing. And it wasn't until I heard about plus size modeling and I thought, oh, maybe that's for me. Maybe finally I'll be accepted. And I went and met with agents and they said I was too small. And so it was just so frustrating. Like it was more than frustrating. I was angry and I was hurt and I was just feeling like, wow, I'll never be good enough. And it was kind of in those moments of, you know, anger that I was like, maybe I'm not the problem. Maybe the industry is the problem. Maybe I need to stop trying to fix myself and fix that. And so I kind of re-channeled my energy to be very internal inward and think that there was something wrong with me to just thinking if I could be as focused and dedicated I was to try and be skinny instead to try and just succeed no matter what, being this size and being different and unique, like I feel like I can't not make it. So I was that girl undercutting agencies, calling clients directly on Model Mayhem, booking my own shoots. And I was able to go back to the agency that rejected me and say, hey, I have a bunch of direct clients. I'll give you 20% if you just sign me. (laughs) My God. The hustle was real. (laughs) Yeah. I absolutely love that you shared all of that. Thank you for kicking it off that way. (laughs) And your story totally resonates with me too, because I was the same way. I was never like a straight size model either because I wasn't the 34 inch hip. I also wasn't plus size. And I feel like when you don't fit perfectly into one of those buckets, people have no idea what to do with you. I remember people being like blown away. They were like, oh my God, like you're a four. Wow. And I was like, guys, this is not groundbreaking at all. So what do you think? Do you think you were born with this innate drive to want to succeed? Because I do feel like you really need to have a certain level of drive and perseverance to keep going. If people are constantly telling you like you're kind of not enough or it's not right. I know I felt that way. So I'm curious where you think your drive came from. I definitely think it came from multiple places. I would say one's definitely personality. Um, I don't know if you're like into astrology. I'm a Virgo. I know that that means that like when I want something, I execute it and I will finish it and I'll see it through till the end and I'll try and do it like perfectly. I want to excel in like every area of my life. But the other one is definitely my parents. They really showed me unconditional love and made me feel supported no matter what I wanted to do. You know, even as a child, I was able to like try different activities. And even if I failed, or even if I decided that I didn't like it, it was okay, they would support me trying something new. And they weren't pushy, but they were just like, yeah, that reassurance and that confidence and that love was always there and always consistent and I also had role models like my grandma who had 10 kids lost her husband when my dad was five worked overnight in a carpet factory didn't drive rode a boat like rode a bike um I think she rode her bike like 20 miles to get to and from work with 10 kids um so it's just like I had a lot of role models in my life that I felt like they showed me that you have to work hard for what you want and to not give up and to keep trying and also I think when you don't have any other options in a way like I don't know for me it just felt like if I want to do this I know exactly what it takes and if I want it more than someone else then maybe that will be the reason why I get there Um, And, you know, there was America's Next Top Model where even though it had some toxic messages for body image, (laughs) 
there was a lot to unpack there. There was also some really great kind of messages of like, you really do have to want this so bad and be willing to put up with all this rejection. Be kind of willing to put up with people disagreeing with you and you just having that really solid self-belief to keep on going. Um, and so that, I think, again, was just as consuming a lot of messages that were pretty detrimental to my body image, but simultaneously, like just keep on going and keep believing in yourself. Absolutely. You really said a couple of really beautiful things there. And what you said about your family being that foundation for you and allowing you to try things and fail and keep going. That was the same thing for me. That's the only reason why I was able to like persevere and keep going because I had that strong foundation. And I know you're also a mother now, so it kind of strikes a different chord now that you're a mom, but I am curious. And I do want to talk about so many other chapters that you've had even outside of your modeling career, but do you think things have changed since you started in the industry? And where do you think things should go next? It's a big question. <laughs> it's a big question. Um, honestly, I think that things have progressed wonderfully, with the exception of still the people who are in the positions of power and in those rooms. It's still very much one type of individual. Um, and so I think that thinking about what we want to see for the future, you know, raising a mixed race son, I just want everyone to feel that level of representation where it's not just visible, right? Like it's wonderful seeing the Sephora campaigns and, you know, even with my own brand, it is wonderful, but who's in our team? You know, we have someone who's trans in our team, someone who's black, someone who's Asian, and all of those voices matter. And all of those voices should be represented no matter how we're speaking to a consumer or a customer. And I think that that's honestly sometimes where the, the, the boat stops. It's like, we think that we're winning when we just get the, the visual campaign that looks super inclusive. But behind the scenes, it's just really important to make sure that people are getting the opportunity to have a seat at the table. I'm really glad that you said all of that. And I know that's a really loaded question. There's no right answer. And I do feel like even since I mo started modeling over 10 years ago, there's been amazing change and amazing progress. And I never want to like poo-poo on that. That's not an articulate way to say it, but you never want to like poo-poo on the change that has happened. But of course I do agree with you that there's still so much more work to be done, but I'm glad that you said all of that and you do have a unique perspective, especially with your son. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're here and sharing that. I do kind of want to go into another chapter of yours because I do see you very much as a model, but I also put you in the category as a creator. So I do want to ask you, when did you decide to really start being more vulnerable and sharing your life online the way that you do? That's a good question. I think that it's what I needed to heal from my eating disorder. And I didn't really know that I would end up being so vulnerable and so open. But as I was like going through my recovery journey and really having to come to terms with all the things that impacted me, I realized a lot of them would impact other people too. Or I was even contributing to a lot of those things by being a model that was heavily photoshopped at the time. So I remember kind of just sharing that and sharing how retouched images made me feel. And I'm the one in the images. So if I can't relate to the images of myself, how can anyone else consuming those pictures? And as I kind of just shared that story, I could tell that people were like, I didn't know this. And I realized I had a unique perspective that people hadn't really, you know, been told before. And simultaneously, I was getting told from my agent in New York, you do not need Instagram. You're a model. It's very looked down upon. You know, it's only going to do damage to your personal brand. It, it doesn't elevate you. Um, and I got told to take multiple posts down and like really stood my ground. <laughs> One in particular where 
um, I got was getting trolled a lot. People hadn't seen a model really of my size kind of getting these big campaigns or billboards in Times Square. And people were like, you're the reason the healthcare system is effed up. You're being such a bad demonstration for women everywhere, letting themselves go. And little did they know that I was at the healthiest I've ever been mentally and physically because I was nourishing my body I was moving my body I was rewarding it with movement not punishing it with with movement I was free from you know calorie counting and obsessing over my weight and size and you know it was such an ironic time of like being at this peak of health and happiness and having people trying to tear me down so I just kept sharing that and one day it got me really angry and someone had made this whole long comment and they talked about you got to put your chips down And ironically, I was literally on set shooting a laundry campaign and there was chips on set. And I was like, that's it. I'm giving this troll the middle finger. So I gave this troll the middle finger while like slow-mo eating the chips and it went super viral. And I had no idea, but I guess it was just like a lot of people were like, yes, like I'm effing done with being told how I should look or that there's something wrong with me. And it was like this collective kind of frustration. So I think that's why I ended up continuing to share because it just felt like it was relating to people. It was what I needed. It was what they wanted to be part of and see and hear. And obviously now this is like 14 years ago. Um, there are a lot more people being vulnerable online talking about their experiences. And it's so beautiful to see that. But I think at the time, there wasn't many models who were, you know, able to speak out and speak up. And I think I was in a unique position because I wasn't booking the traditional jobs, or even trying to, right? I knew I was never going to get a Vogue cover, but the brands I was working with liked the fact that I was vocal, liked the fact I stood for something like body acceptance. And so I was in a unique position to be able to do that without, well, I did jeopardize my career in some ways, but not so much that I couldn't do exactly what I was meant to do with exactly which brands I was meant to do. Absolutely. I I love that you share that. And I, I also, you know, shared my journey with my body and how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes, and I'm curious how you feel about this, when I did share my journey with my body and how I felt about it, then I felt an immense amount of pressure to kind of almost be the face of body positivity in a way and, and, and in a way smaller scale than you are because you're even more vocal in a, in an amazing way. Do you ever feel a pressure to like continue talking about that even though you've kind of come to peace with your body? Because I remember feeling that way myself. Like people would be like, how did you get over this? How did you do this? And I'd be like, oh, I almost feel like I left that chapter. And you said you almost used kind of talking about it as a healing mechanism. So I'm curious how you feel about that. I 100% agree. And I've spoken to quite a few people in the space that feel the same way and feel that social media and your audience and community want you to stay talking about why they fell in love with you and why they related to you and why they connected. But sometimes you move forward and you move on and it's feel like you're dredging up stuff from the past that's almost now inauthentic. So yeah, I, I really don't post as much, I feel like, as I used to at all. And I just listen to myself. Obviously, there are days where you still don't feel your best. But also there are times, especially during postpartum, where I was broken and hurting and isolated and lonely and looking at my body and, and feeling not safe in it anymore and not feeling comfortable. And I guess what I didn't want to like grab my phone and and take a selfie at that moment or record those moments, you know. So there's there's a lot of inauthenticity that can happen when we feel the pressure to continue to show up in a way that isn't serving us anymore. And you know, I'm grateful for my community, and I hope that 
other people's community, give them grace to think, you know what, I did come to that person purely for that, but they've grown and hopefully actually like going with them and growing with them will help me get past that chapter too. So yeah, I think that that's an immense amount of pressure. I, it was an honor being called a role model by such a big brand, but it was a heavy weight to carry. And it made me overthink every single word, you know, I would post and every single decision I would make. Um, And so I, I definitely did push away from that a little bit. And I just kept reminding people, I'm an imperfect human. I'm probably going to let you down. I'm sorry. You know, please don't have this expectation of me being this perfect role model. And don't attach to your sense of self-worth to what I do in my decisions. You know, because I think that's very triggering for a lot of people, even recently with the Ozempic movement, is having these, you know, role models that they looked up to online, if it was Hollywood or if it was social media, and seeing them lose weight and then them thinking, oh, they hate their bodies. They're not happy at that size. I shouldn't be either. I used to, you know, see them the same way as me and now I can't. So there's something wrong with me now. Um, and that that's a lot of pressure to carry with you and people should be allowed to have new seasons in their life. You know, people are moving forward. So yeah, I think as a community, we have to just allow that with some grace. Yeah, absolutely. And that's totally like on brand with this podcast. That's the whole point of my inspiration behind it is that like we're constantly remodeling and changing and evolving. And and I think we talk about it so easily, but it can be challenging and tricky and uncomfortable and we're figuring it out. You did mention postpartum and I definitely want to talk to you about motherhood and this huge chapter in your life. Did you always know that you wanted to be a mother and what was the beginning of motherhood like for you and postpartum? Yeah, so absolutely always wanted to be a mom. Didn't know when it was going to happen. Um, I vividly remember telling Philip, who is my partner, who's the father of my child, Philip, I want to have children and I'm going to do it with or without you. So just to let you know, that will happen at some point when I feel ready. Um, And, you know, we didn't know it was going to happen so quickly in our relationship. I was definitely like what I viewed was the height of my career, which who knows what that is. It felt like it because I guess publicity wise, but honestly, and I was terrified. Um, And I just remember even Philip going like, shit, 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 shit. And then we being like, we didn't live together. You know, we... Obviously, we we knew we were life partners and soulmates, and this is something we were going to do. But it was just like he's on tour with a rapper. Like I'm like nonstop between New York and LA, and careers crazy. And then we're like, we're pregnant. What are we gonna do? Like Philip even lived with his best friends. Uh, like it was just the timing was terrifying. And so going into it, and again having these expectations that like you decide one day you're going to have a child with the person you love and then you get the test and it's like, yay. It was the opposite of that. So I just feel like it started off on the foot where I was like, oh no. And then I, I just remember crying and saying, Philip, we've never been on, on holiday together. <laughs> he was like, um, I think we have bigger issues, but okay. <laughs> one thing I'm really proud of us for doing, and I will say Props to Philip for being such an emotionally intelligent man who can communicate his feelings. I said, you know what? This is going to be hard to to be kind of maybe show the ugly side of how we're feeling about this. Why don't we write each other a letter and just write down all of our fears, you know, everything that we're worried about and what we want and what we hope from this. And so we wrote each other these letters that were very vulnerable. um, But I think it really helped us to go into being parents, like not holding back 
anything, even if it felt ugly, even if we felt embarrassed to say it. Um, and I think that's key because when postpartum happened, I was giving myself these negative affirmations and I was feeling frustrated because I felt like I was getting so frustrated with, with this baby who was just trying to know how to survive outside of my body. It's wild how lack of sleep and consistent crying. And then for me again, Virgo perfectionist, I found breastfeeding really challenging. It was the middle of the pandemic. My parents didn't see my son actually for a year and a half. I didn't have any of the baby mommy and me classes. I didn't have the lactation consultant there. I didn't have anyone I felt like. So I was just getting extra frustrated that I couldn't figure it out. I was like, why can't he sleep? I'm failing as a mom. He's not sleeping. I'm failing as a mom. I can't breastfeed. I'm failing as a mom because I just look a mess and I'm not being kind to my partner. Um, and so we really were like having conversations and a lot of them would end up in laughter because it was just so ridiculous. The things that we would just come out with, we were kind of feeling crazy about, but yeah, he definitely supported me and I don't know what I would have done without him. Um, and I had, you know, girlfriends that I could reach out to and I built that mom tribe, which again, such a safety net, having those moms that you can really talk to anything about. Um, that's really, really important. But yeah, just telling people like, I'm not okay and I need some help. I know. I That completely resonates with me too. I mean, I just feel like postpartum emotions are at a peak, peak, peak. Like I just saw red every single day, even though you're in such a like gentle, vulnerable time in your life, but there's also like this ogre inside of you that's like, ah, I'm so mad and upset about so many things. Before, you know, your days are kind of gone like that, but you would, yeah, you could wake up and literally be an ogre. And then you're like Snow White Princess, so happy, floating through the clouds, got your little baby, you know, life is so beautiful. I'm so grateful. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure Philip was looking at me like, whoa, okay, I don't know what I'm going to get every hour of the day. Totally. I feel feel the exact same way. I'm still in it. I'm only six months out from my second. And my husband every day is like, I don't know which version of you I'm going to get today. And I'm like, well, either way, you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, not to circle back to the body image stuff, but I do want to talk to you a little bit about how you felt about your body after you had your son and what that evolution looked like for you. Yeah. I was kind of shocked because I was more nervous about pregnancy. Having had an eating disorder for so many years, being and feeling out of control of the way your body is changing could have been very triggering. But what I found was when I was pregnant, I actually really nourished myself with affirmations, kindness, nourishing foods, movement. I was giving myself rest. I was like literally treating myself like a goddess because, I mean, we all are goddesses, but when you're pregnant, it was just the greatest gift I've ever experienced. And unfortunately, being and having friends very close to me that have struggled to get pregnant um, and or have had miscarriages and infant loss, um, I was very, very aware of how beautiful and special and miraculous this was. And so the transition then when my baby was in the world and not inside of me anymore was literally like, instead of being this goddess who deserved all the time and energy and love to like bottom of the barrel, lowest priority, my baby is absolutely everything. Then my husband, then my career, then I'm just like stuffed away down there somewhere. And so, yeah, I stopped 
eating well. And when I say well, it was just like convenience, like chips were probably what I lived off of. Um, chips and cookies and just anything you could grab quickly, which is probably why my milk supply stopped so abruptly because I wasn't nourishing myself. I didn't have the family around me to really, you know, pass off my baby to try and get naps, but um, I just wasn't resting enough. I wasn't nourishing myself with things that I love to do. I then looked at my body as if it was empty and that I was just such low priority that I stopped showering. I stopped getting dressed. I was just wearing robes all day, every day, not doing my hair and makeup, telling myself, like literally giving myself the affirmation, you're a mess. And my friend would call me out. She'd come over and she's like, Iskra, your environment might be a mess, but you are not a mess. And so luckily I did have wonderful humans around me. And Philip said to me, what do you need? And I was like, I just need to get in the shower and feel motivated to do that and feeling like I was deserving of that. Even if the baby's crying, even if, you know, there's dishes piling up, I just need that. And he was like, I can give you that. How long do you need? And just like planning that out, which sounds like something that is so obvious and normal that obviously I just get up in the morning now and do every day. But at that point in time during postpartum, everything was just blurry and messy and fuzzy. And my concept of time was just whenever the baby naps and poops and drinks, like I couldn't figure my own like life out, you know? Totally. I mean, that totally resonates with me as well, because I think when you're postpartum too, everything feels so overwhelming. The idea of even trying to plan your shower, you're like, I have to communicate with my husband that when I put this baby down, then I want to go take a shower and he has to watch the monitor. And then maybe I'll go for a walk. Like that felt, I remember to me being like, it's too overwhelming. I'd rather just not like, let me just be like in misery and peace. But I really like the way you described treating yourself while you were pregnant though, as this goddess and nourishing and the affirmations. Like I wish I could have done that first of all, while I was pregnant, but definitely while we're postpartum and we're even more vulnerable and going through this massive change. But thank you for sharing all that. And I think you really shared some real tangible tips that anyone who's pregnant or postpartum could do. I do want to talk about your business, Saltaire. Mm-hmm. When did that start? Like After you had your baby, when did you go, okay, now I'm ready to start another new chapter? And did you feel ready for it? How did it come about? Yeah. So I think I've always known that I wanted to be a brand owner. Um, I think working with brands and being on the other side, promoting someone else's brand for so long, you just always know that you're going to hit a ceiling. And for me, you know, I worked with a brand for seven years and I was in their marketing meetings, their fit meetings. I was even in their end of year sales meetings. And I saw every aspect of that company and I loved it. But I also knew that as much as my voice was heard in some respects, I never had the final say, you know, I was, I kind of was let into the room, but I didn't have a seat at the table with the actual decisions. And I knew there were certain things I still didn't fully agree with. So I knew one day I was like, I would love to own a brand so that I always know that everything that I've learned, everything that I've experienced in this fashion industry for 20 years, which I think really correlates in so many different types of industries too. And obviously, Saltaire is a beauty brand. Um, We have body care and hair care and hygiene. And so there was just a lot that I've learned and seen and I knew I wanted to implement and have in my own brand. And it really was being in that postpartum like darkness of like, what is going to get me back to feeling like myself? How am I going to find myself? And it was the shower. And it sounds so simple, but like, 
cleansing yourself after days or even like over a week of not it's like you're a transformed whole new human. And I remember thinking back to the herbal essences campaigns that I used to, to watch during Desperate Housewives. And, he was like, oh, oh. and I was like, honestly, the shower is like that for me. Like I'm literally gone to a tropical destination. I've left all my like, you know, priorities flown out the window and it's just my time to make myself feel like the goddess that I am. And I was getting PR packages during COVID and makeup was so innovative and skincare was so interesting and there were sustainable elements and it was body care. And it was either clinical and it was fragrance free and it was like a treatment product or it was spa-like but super expensive and non-inclusive. And I was just like, there's there's a white space here. That's really how it felt. And, you know, I'd worked on fragrance when I was with Aerie. I did three fragrances with them, which I loved. I love fragrance. I think that it's our first step in how we style ourselves. And we really kind of emphasize our personalities and how we want to feel for the day. It tells such a powerful story. So I went to the place that I'd kind of create those fragrances with Aerie, spoke to them about this kind of goal of this brand. And it wasn't the right fit. And so I I was speaking with my friend Juliana, who's in PR, and she was like, Iskra, I know exactly who you need to speak to. His name is Ben Bennett, and he has a beauty incubator, um, and it's called The Center. So I had this initial call with Ben, and I was very nervous. I think it's nerve-wracking sharing anything where, A, again, people have... um, not believed my goals with modeling. So I was like, oh gosh, I'm probably gonna have to spend another 20 years convincing people that I can do this too. But straight away, he'd kind of researched me, he'd seen how hard I'd worked and the change that I'd kind of created in the modeling space. And he heard about my vision. And he'd also himself, because he had a makeup brand, a fragrance brand, a skincare brand, wanted to do a body care brand. And it was just this simultaneous moment of like, I think we're meant to do this together. And it was just that moment of like, these are the products I literally need right now and I want to make for myself. And I know that there are so many other people who could benefit off of them too, especially if they're sustainable and price inclusive. And he felt the same way. And that's really how it came together. So out of those darkest times, and I know we say that a lot, but seriously, if you're going through something, I, I swear, usually it ends up motivating you or inspiring you to do something that can change that or help others not go through it. Absolutely. I had no idea that your body care brand kind of budded from postpartum and that resonates with me so much. But when I was postpartum, especially with my first, I gave birth in November. And I remember that every time the sun went down at like four in the afternoon, which was horrific when I was postpartum. And the first thing I would do would be jump in the shower because I would have a boiling hot shower and it was just so serene and so quiet. And it made me feel so much better. So that totally resonates with me. And I love hearing that side of the story. I am curious because I also have my own brand because you came from the modeling world. And like you said, you're kind of someone else's chameleon as a model and someone else's vision. And I found that it almost muted my inner voice and opinion in a way, because I was just used to everyone telling me what to do, how to look, how to pose. But then when I had my own business, I was like, oh wait, they want to hear from me. Like what I actually think. I don't, I don't know what I actually think. Did you ever have a moment like that 
starting your business where you're like, oh, I have to like bring another version of myself here and really give an opinion and a point of view. What did that look like for you? That's such an interesting perspective. I think I definitely had imposter syndrome and I was hyper aware that my business partner, Ben, and basically our whole Soltaire team knows way more than me and is far more capable in so many areas of the business. But like Ben always said that to me, he goes, don't worry, it should be like that. You specialize and are fantastic in what you do, but there are going to be people that we need to help us make this a success that are going to know more than you. And you're here to bring your unique perspective and be this founder and be this face of the brand and carry it and, you know, really share it with the world. But I think I had less of what you were saying because social media was such a space where I did have to be vocal and speak up. And people, even if it wasn't the industry, my community really valued my perspective. But I do vividly remember multiple times trying to speak up on set or in the modeling fashion world and just being completely shut down. I remember I was shooting a catalog in Liverpool and it's a really nice brand, but I remember we were planning out the shoot day and there was like a good chunk of waist downs. So, you know, my face wasn't going to be in it. My hair and makeup wasn't going to be in it. And they were doing Bible shots and they were putting them all up on the board. And then they were figuring out what we were going to shoot first. And straight off the bat, I was like, we should just get those out of the way. Let's get the waist down out of the way. Then we can do hair and makeup. And the way everyone was like, did the model just try and give us advice on what to do? It was like, I, I was like, okay, I'll just disappear now. The stylist was so mad at me. She literally said, it is not your job. And I was like, okay. And obviously we didn't, and it didn't make sense because then they had to refresh the hair and makeup anyway, like after lunch, because they did it first and we should have done the way. So it was just like, there had definitely been frustrations like that. So I think when it was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is my brand. This is what I do. You know, being vocal, it felt like just a relief. That makes sense that like, you know, your, your career and being vocal as, you know, a creator really helped guide you into a business owner. That makes a lot of sense. And is really interesting not to kind of go back to the motherhood side of things, but I am curious how you balance, you start this brand, you just had a baby. What did that look like for you? And how did you find the balance? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think I have found the balance. That's everyone's <laughs> I mean, answer. Like, I will, there are nights where I'm up till 4am and I'm not proud of it. And like Philip will come out, he wakes up super early and he's like come out to wake up for the day. And I'm sat there on my laptop and I'm like, okay, I have to figure this out. So I finally did actually get some help because I don't take a salary from Saltair. Um, It's important for me to just really focus on what our end goal is of how we reinvest money into the company and grow it and build it. Um, And so, yeah, I'm having to still do social media like a full-time job. And that's really where our bread and butter comes from. And so my balance is that I love anything to do with Saltair. So it doesn't feel like work. (laughs) It is work. I guess sometimes it can, but generally it's just so joy filled. And I love my team so much that like, I think the balance is like, I'm doing something I love. Um, and then I've been able to definitely give more tasks that I don't like and pass them off. And I finally got this really great agency that I've been working with for nearly a month now to help me with the social side, like the actual posting, um, which is something I clung onto for dear life. And people are like, Iskra, you should have stopped posting years ago because it's all about the content creation and the just you engaging with the community the actual clicking post 
is unimportant. So even just getting that off my plate so that in the day I can focus on work and have someone else doing the posting. And then when I finish and I have time, I can do the engaging and the commenting back. But yeah, I'm constantly finding that balance. I don't think it will ever look perfect. And I keep telling Philip, this is a season. It Saltaire's a startup. And, you know, everyone talks about how rough it is having a startup and it isn't glamorous. And you have to just be willing to, you know, go there and make sure you've got the best team you can to support you. And with motherhood, kind of similar. It's a startup. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you have this human who you've got to figure out, got to figure out how to allow them to thrive and look after them and support them in emotionally, um, you know, with their bodies and physically and all of these aspects whilst doing that for yourself, whilst doing that for your relationship and obviously having your business. So constantly planning, constantly goal setting to make sure we're all moving forward as a family, constantly figuring out how we allot time and what our boundaries are. You know, it's, it's ridiculous little things that can upset you or throw you off that you have to be aware of and be willing and vulnerable to tell your partner that, that maybe you need X, Y, Z, or maybe you don't, or all of those things. Like for me, I'll tell Philip, sometimes I want to lay in bed and it's not that like, I don't want to have sex with you, but I literally feel like sometimes we're so disconnected because we're busy working or we have, we're in parent mode. I just want to like cuddle. I literally want to cuddle as if we're like dating again and just like maybe have a little kiss in bed. And so like just being vocal about what you need is really important in all the areas. Totally. I love that. I mean, even with my husband, people laugh. We have a weekly meeting every single Sunday and everyone, I was at a dinner last night and they're like, oh my God, do you have like an agenda for this meeting? And I was like, of course we do. Because sometimes you have to like really be honest and clear about how you're feeling about certain things. What are your goals for certain areas, whether it be like family or travel, career, like really being open and transparent about that. It's it's really helpful. I do want to ask you one more question on Saltaire. What do you feel like is the three most important things that you bring to the table for Saltaire? Like for you, is it like, I care so much about inclusivity or is it that I care so much about the products and how they're created? Like, what do you feel like you're like, I'm so passionate about making sure these few things are really done well here? Yeah, for me, it's product first. And I don't think many people would have assumed that because I think when people see my following, they think, oh, she's just going to leverage her following to sell anything. And that was not the case. From day one, it was like, regardless if I'm involved or not, this product has to speak for itself. Even if it wasn't me, it could have been someone with five followers, they would have been able to launch this and have people respect the quality of the product. And as well as the pro- like the quality, it's just like the intention behind it. I think, you know, I'm sure you too have had the opportunity to stick our names on a multitude of different products or a multitude of different items. And, you know, I've always just thought, I'm not just going to sell any old thing because I can. It was very important to build these products that A, I wanted, B, that I felt like there was a white space for, and C, would have an impact on people that felt like they'd never tried something like this before. So definitely product first. Second would be, yes, the inclusivity. For me, I I dabbled in the idea of like, would it have been a fashion brand? Da, da, da. And I was like, body wash is probably the most inclusive product you could get you know everyone washes their body um and depending on what they like to use but 
for me, having a pump was super inclusive. You know, I have a friend that's blind and she said to me from day one, please use pumps. So that was something that I was hyper aware of that I think not many people had talked about or even known was important. So really listening to my community on the types of product and how was best that they would be able to use them and enjoy them. And then third, I would say being very honest and imperfect about the brand, right? Like we launched in January of 2021 and it was wild because we launched on a Tuesday. And so people started getting their packages like Friday, Saturday. And of course, when you own a business, it's 24 seven, there's no such thing as weekends. You know, we do it. We check in with our sales every single day at the end of the day, regardless of if I'm on vacation or not. And so people started getting their packages and they started sending us photos that there was dents in the aluminium because we first launched with our body wash, which was, is the hundred percent aluminium packaging. And we were devastated. We did ship tests. We were so confused. And it was just, I guess like, and it ended up being 20%. Actually, we figured it out. It was nearly 20% of orders were damaged and had these dents and had these dings. And it was like, Oh, that this could be over for us. Like if people want a refund or if they want us to ship them a whole new body wash, which is heavy, especially in the aluminium, it's wasteful for the product. The whole point is we're a sustainably focused brand. It was literally disaster. And in those moments coming together as a team and figuring out how we authentically stand up and be like, you know, we're so sorry. This is imperfect. We did not imagine this would happen. It has happened. This is what we want to do. And for me, I embrace my imperfections. It's very much like something I've always spoken about. And so it was like, well, the bottle's kind of like your body. It's your outer layer. My body is imperfect. I have dings and dents, cellulite, stretch marks, you name it. And the bottles like have gotten that to come to you. It's like their journey to get to you. So we called it Bottle Positivity (laughs) and we owned it. And we were like, we are an imperfect brand. We want you to embrace your imperfections. And like taking that stance is just very important for me and the brand to never expect that we're going to be completely perfect, but hopefully giving people room to like really connect with the brand because of that. I love that. That's amazing. I think it's so interesting to hear how you kind of spun that and made it actually part of the brand conversation. Because at the end of the day, you're so right. It definitely resonated with me. And want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests. What is the biggest remodel that you are going through right now? Whether that be a change, a transition, something you're just trying to get a grasp on. Like for me, I'm still trying to get used to the fact that my daughter is going to preschool now. I'm like still trying to figure it out. <laughs> but anyway, what's your version of like a remodel that's happening right now? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I think that I still have a fear of failure. And I have this home that I've been renovating that I bought in 2021. Also 2021 was a big year for me. I think it was as I came out of uh, the pandemic and feeling lost. It was like, I just wanted to create, create, rebuild, fix all of these things. And I took on a lot and I don't want to say I'm paying the price right now, but it has made me feel very burnt out. Um, and for me, it feels like I failed because I trusted um, my contractor and it's been a bit of a disaster. He's like left the house in ruins. It's leaking. It's like kind of depressing to go there, to be honest. And so I'm going through this remodel of just like, I can still trust people. It's going to be okay because it ha- it shows up in the weirdest ways. Like Philip was on a phone call and someone was pitching him something about his music art and I immediately, my walls went up. 
I said, they want how much? Why? Who is this? So I'm, I feel like I'm having to go back to trusting people again. You know, I'm luckily, I obviously trust my, my business partner with so much, but I am less trusting than I was. And I love that about myself. I love that I was someone who always gave people the benefit of doubt. And now I feel like I'm going into everything, imagining it's a scam. <laughs> so I'm remodeling my sense of trust. Um, and I'm also allowing myself to have these failures, speak about them publicly, and then not be embarrassed to like go back and share about it about it again. Um, you not just move on and think that's the end of that chapter. How embarrassing. Let me move on. It's like, no, this is actually very normal. It happens to a lot of people. It doesn't mean that you're bad with money or, you know, you're a bad person for letting this happen and you've let your family down. So I'm definitely going through a remodeling of, of mindset and trust and failure, all those things. I love that. Thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable about that because like, going through a shift in mindset and getting burned in a way and trying to find like the old version of you that was trusting and kind and soft, but also trying to be the smarter, newer version of you in a way too. It's not easy. Well, Iskra, this was a great conversation. I felt like you shared so much about yourself and your journey and I really do appreciate it, but you're always so open and honest and that's why you are here today. I do want you to share where can everyone find you and find your brand? Yes. So you can find our brand Saltair on www.saltair.com <laughs> and um, on socials just at Saltair. And then for me, I'm at Iskra, I-S-K-R-A. And that's Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all the things. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. Sitting down for these conversations really gives me so much life and so much inspiration. I can't wait to share who's up next. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to keep up with us on Instagram for upcoming guests and episodes. I'm at Emily DiDonato. We can't wait for all that's to come. See you soon.